Hello and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast with fast reviews of furious cars, an amazing web-slinging adventure, new songs of the week, and a book for, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Andrew Logan, and let's dive right into it. This week we cover a lot of ground, but I wanted to do a quick little note right here at the top of the episode that the Patreon live stream is being rescheduled from the 13th of this upcoming week to the 12th. It will occur probably towards 7 p.m. on Saturday night, January the 12th, um, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you want to watch, you become a Patreon supporter between now and then. And you will get access to the live stream where we will be playing things like Dark Souls and Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm very excited about it. And let's not, you know, waste any more of your time and get right into the rest of the episode. Alright, let's do some quick housekeeping notes. Uh, There's been a couple of fairly significant changes behind the scenes here at GrowingUpCast.com. And I wanted to let you guys... All know what the what the deal is, how things are shaking down, because transparency is key, and I didn't want to leave anybody out in the cold. So up until as of recording this, um, there were uh, several sources where you could listen to the Going Up Cast podcast that has now dwindled down to three because I was very displeased with the service I was paying for in order to get the podcast up on certain things because they weren't fucking staying up there. But that's I'm not going to get mad. I'm just letting you know that there are three places you can listen to the Goingcast. Number one, you can listen to it at goingcast.com. That is the primary source for all things Going Upcast. Not only the podcast, but the blog is on there. The Song of the Week playlist link is on there on Spotify. There's all the old episodes. And, of course, all the audiobook episodes are found at goingcast.com. So, for everything that I do... The website is the best and, in many cases, only place you can find most of what I do. So, goingcast.com, can't recommend it highly enough. If you would like to listen to it in two other locations, you can also listen to it on iTunes, naturally. Going Upcast, you can search it, you can subscribe, which I highly recommend you do so you don't miss any episodes. And you can leave comments with wonderful five-star ratings so my uh, podcast climbs the ladder and everybody listens and it becomes super popular and cool. And then, of course, you can listen to it on Google Play. That's how I listen to most of my podcasts. It allows you to download the podcast, and once you've listened to the podcast, it actually deletes it off your service, so you can download the next podcast, which I think is freaking awesome. So those are the three places you can listen to the Going Outcast. And the best way to support the Going Outcast is to go to patreon.com slash goingupcast. It is the only way that this podcast makes any money is through Patreon, and so your support there means so much to me and all of us here at the Going Outcast. And it allows us to do just a whole bunch of fun things, uh, like new video um, projects that I'm working on, recording like actual cover albums with bands. There's a whole laundry list of goals that the uh, the Patreon has listed there, and naturally, there's a lot of rewards that you can get if you support at different levels. So all of those things uh, can be found not only at Patreon, but you can find links to all of these things on GoingCast.com, and you can find all that shit, explore it around. Share it with your friends. Do all that fun, jazzy stuff. It would mean the absolute world to me. And that's pretty much all I have on my end uh, for housekeeping stuff. So enough dilly-dallying. Let's move into the rest of the podcast. Another week. Indeed, the final week of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire is read by me. The final three chapters. Chapter 35, Veritaserum. Chapter 36, The Parting of the Ways. 
in chapter 37, the beginning, which ironically is the end of the book. It's pretty clever, don't you think? Signifies the beginning of a lot of things, but it also says it's the end of the book. Boy, just the nuance of these books is just fucking unreal. Anyway, I wanted to talk about my my farewell at the end of book four, um, where I give credit to all the wonderful people that helped me make such a wonderful audiobook, and I can think of no higher honor than to have that moment play out for you all here on the podcast as well. Credit where credit is due, for sure. Let's take a listen. I'd like to thank my my cast and crew. Um, uh, we got we got uh, Terry McGillicuddy. He was he was just fucking so influential in getting this done. I particularly loved his rendition of um, Random Ravenclaw Girl Four. Uh, he just he just did such a great part. Uh, it was an honor to have Sean Connery guest in at Sirius Black. Um, he did a wonderful job. I can't wait to have him return. Uh, this is an exclusive. You're hearing this for the first time. Sean Connery will return in Order of the Phoenix. He has agreed to uh, to reprise his role as Sirius for a third and uh, and final time. Um, once again, the uh, decaying old carcass of Richard Harris there as Dumbledore. Always a standard classic that we like to have here at uh, Audio Books by Andrew Productions. It has just been an absolute honor with these, these huge celebrities. Three brand new chapters for a brand new book begin next Wednesday. Order of the Phoenix. Give me a hot second here and I can tell you exactly how long that book will be with us. It's 38 chapters, which I believe is a single chapter longer than Goblet of Fire. So... You know, do the math on that one. And uh, and there you go. Let's see. This is one week, two weeks, three weeks. Looks like we're at four weeks. Uh, keep going. Five weeks, six weeks. Uh, keep going. Seven weeks. There's eight weeks there. That's a that's a ninth week right there. That's nine. That's ten weeks. Uh, then we're into 11 weeks, 12 weeks. And then there's two chapters there at the end of it. So probably 12 weeks. Um, See if I can split up. Maybe I'll do like four and four right there at the end or something like that uh, to make it kind of even. Um, that would make it 11 weeks, which means by my rough calculations, it'll probably be here until late March, early April. There you go. That's how uh, that's how this is going to crack down. And just so you all know, the first chapter of book five was recorded in July of 2018. So, yeah, I think that's when it was recorded. Um, nope, sorry, April of 2018. Um, that is, that is when it was actually recorded the 3rd of April, to be precise. I don't know why I read the date so terribly wrong, but that's when it came out. And that will be with us for quite some time. I finished book six not that long ago, but at this rate, we're rapidly catching up to real time of me recording these books. Uh, because I've barely started book seven and I'm a mere, I don't know, six months out from uploading book seven. So rough, rough estimates on that one. And then we're moving on to other books. Very excited about that. Enjoy the end of book four. I hope you liked the ride and get ready for book five, which as I've stated many a time is my favorite. So it's going to be an awesome ride. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. So with the dawn of the new year, Netflix has definitely come out swinging with tons of new stuff, old movies, new shows, all sorts of crazy crap. But what I was the most excited for and what I just finished watching 
was the first three Fast and the Furious movies. Saw the first one a little while ago, and I loved it. It's basically Point Break with Cars. I uh, saw the second one last night and the third one this morning. Not that you really need the context for that. I just wanted you to know that there was a little bit of time in between each movie so I could percolate upon it and reflect on if it was a good movie or not. I have come to the opinion that while these movies may not be the most complex in terms of plot, nor in terms of acting the best, they are very fun movies to just kind of jam on. If that makes sense. First movie is very strong. It definitely sets up the whole Toretto family dynamic that the later movies, I believe, encourage greatly. I've not seen the later movies. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure Vin Diesel's kind of a staple from here on out after movie three. uh, Which is a complete divergent from the other two movies. Because it involves a whole new main character and a whole new setting and all sorts of crazy crap. So, first movie does an excellent job of setting that shit up, even though it's like 45 minutes too long, but that's fine. The second movie is kind of like this weird buddy cop thing, almost, and that one feels more like a cheesy TV movie than it does like a major motion picture movie. It's still fun, and it's still good, but it's not better than the first one. The first one's better than the second one, but I think I like the third one better than either of those two, which I think is fun, because like I said, it has nothing to do with like the rest of the franchise, except for a quick little cameo right there at the end. Which I guess is built up later on in the franchise because movie three, in terms of the chronology of the story, actually occurs after movie six, I think. Uh, I don't fucking know. But third movie was a lot of fun. I'm not going to give you like a quick rundown of what all the plots are about. But the third movie, I think, was my favorite because it provided kind of context for the for the driving and the races. Like each, almost every race in that movie had a purpose. You know, and in, in movie two, they all have a purpose, but it's like get from point A to point B. And in movie one, it kind of has a purpose because he's becoming, a, I don't remember what the purpose was for the races. But in this one, it's like, you know, oh shit, this guy's trying to kill me. I got a book, you know, it's, it's a different context for the races. And when you provide decent context for why the racing is actually occurring, to me, that makes for a better movie. Because then not only are you interested in watching the race happen because it's car racing, but there's, there's like weight to it, you know, if he wins this race, then blank will happen. And that's good or bad for these reasons, those sorts of sorts of things you can think about in your brain fruits while you're watching the film, make the race a bit more investable. You get, you get more involved with the movie and the cinematography of the, the third movie was actually really freaking strong. Uh, it was Jeremy Lin, Justin Lin, the director of Star Trek three and Furious 7, I think. I think he did those movies. Um, pretty, pretty goddamn good director. I gotta say, definitely had a, has a, uh, an eye for action sequences and fun one-shot swooping camera crap uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun to watch. I loved the periphery characters of the third movie. Um, I, I think that's probably what makes these movies so much fun to watch is the characters and how well they are developed in such a short amount of time. Like, I can still think about how um, honorable Dominic Toretto was in, like, the first film and how that was a big deal to him. And I can think about how generous Han is in the third movie. And, like, you can just, you know, these characters may be um, kind of not stereotypical, but they're given, like, an adjective, right? And they're like, this is you! Um, but there's there's some depth to it. There's some nuance to it. You know, they're not fucking Lawrence of Olivier or whatever, but they're freaking good movies. They're fun stuff to watch. So very much enjoyed that. Thank you very much for that. Netflix putting those movies on your service. I want you to do the fucking rest of them. 
because I don't know how else I'm going to watch these films, but I might just freaking buy them because I kind of want them. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But I very much enjoyed watching the Fast and Furious movies, and I can't wait to see the rest of them. I'm hopeful that it maintains its its feel. Like, the first three movies, despite being very different from each other, all feel like a Fast and the Furious movie. It's got, like, a checklist, and it hits all the notes. Um, but I'm kind of scared that moving forward, the, the budget is going to become so high, and you're going to bring in a lot of fucking characters. Like, I know The Rock shows up later, and so does, um... Crap, what the hell is his name? Can't remember. The British guy. Jason Statham shows up later, and I'm, I'm worried that these movies are going to start to feel way too crowded, if that makes sense, and there's going to be too much going on, and it's not going to feel like a Fast and Furious movie. It's going to feel like a fucking Mission Impossible movie. So, we'll see, I guess. I've seen some pretty fucking ridiculous shit later on where they're like international spies. I don't know. I feel like it's going to go off the rails pretty quickly, uh, and that might be good and that might be bad, but what I love about these movies is that they feel kind of... The way I've been describing it is like low-budget gorilla movie where it's not like this huge, big, fucking bombastic production. You don't need a lot to make a Fast and the Furious movie. You need a couple of cars, you need some people to drive the cars, and you need a place to drive, and then you've got a movie. Like, that's what I love about these. It feels like anybody could have made this movie, you know? Kind of like how why everybody loves Spider-Man. Anyone could be Spider-Man. Anyone could have made the Fast and the Furious movies. Get a camera, a car, and a road, and you've got a Fast and the Furious movie. And that's... I love that. I love, like, the, the simplicity of it, I think, is what really attracts me to these films. So, if it gets way too complicated and, like, jumping the shark in the later films, I don't think I'm going to enjoy those as much. But the first three are good, solid films. You got a car, you got a road, you got a dude driving a car. What more do you want? You know, it's it's got it. It's got it all. So it's all right there. There. Here's a Fast and the Furious movie. Every time I get in my car and start driving down the road, I'm making a Fast and the Furious movie. So, yeah. That's the best way I can describe it. But if you haven't seen them, I'd recommend them. Um, they're, they're just easy to watch. They're easy to watch. They're good times. I think you'll like it. Watch the first one. If you don't like the first one, you won't like any of the others. I can tell you that straight up right now. So... If, if it ain't if it doesn't get you like kind of interested right out the gate then you're not gonna like it because that's basically all it's got it gives it gives you everything it can do in movie one and if you don't like that then it ain't for you and I think that'll do it for the Fast and Furious talk let's move on to the next thing of the podcast This week for Songs of the Week we've got two vastly different songs from two vastly different areas of music but I love them both Pretty much equally. The first song, naturally, is the cover for this week, brought to us by the wonderful and irreplaceable John Denver, released on October 30th, 1972. I was about to say 1927, but nope, it's not that old. It is Rocky Mountain High, John Denver, Mike Taylor, folk song, and according to Wikipedia, it is one of two official state songs of Colorado. I did not know there were state songs before I read this Wikipedia article, but there are state songs. And most of them are old, uh, written in the 20s, and have titles like Hail Minnesota and Go Mississippi, uh, which I can only imagine are just the absolute rockingest bangers you've ever heard when it comes to music. Rocky Mountain High is primarily inspired by John Denver's actual experience with the Rocky Mountains and his love affair with nature, which throughout his entire life basically never dwindled. And a lot of his songs deal with the irreplaceable beauty of the natural world and how we need to preserve and experience it while it's there to be experienced and preservable. So it is a message that, you know, I very much support. The national Park System is one of the greatest things America's ever done. 
So you should go out and explore your national, state, and local parks because those little strips of beauty, green land, were there for all of us to enjoy. So go take a look at it. But first, take a listen to this cover of Rocky Mountain High by John Denver. In the Colorado Rocky Mountain High The next song is a single, I, I don't know, I mean, it's like a fifth of the album. It's a single off of an album that will be released later on in February of this year. Now, the reason I chose this song is because I have already paid to go see this album performed in its entirety live down in San Jose in May, and it's the first time I've ever paid for a concert of an album I've not heard yet. And based on the single that was released called The Raven Child back in December of last year, I have no fear that this concert is going to be freaking incredible. This song is called The Raven Child off the album Moon Glow by Aventasia, which is a rock opera supergroup thing. Aventasia has a lot of albums on Spotify that just are these uber over the top massive productions with a bunch of singers and a bunch of instruments and the lyrics go on and on and on and there's so much to just digest and absorb in all of these albums and I'm very excited to watch this album be performed live before my very eyes now Ravenchild is the longest song on the album um, based on what I'm looking at here on Wikipedia it is 11 minutes and 16 seconds long it's pretty fantastic I will never probably not enjoy listening to it um it has three singers on the album or on this song there are i think 12 guest vocalists for this album uh but the three singers on there are naturally um uh tobias uh samet who is the main orchestrator behind the entire project it also has uh joran land from master plan who has an incredible uh voice singing style it's very um powerful and uh, right in your ear holes. Like, he holds nothing back. And that has um, Hansi um, Kirsch from Blind Guardian, who has such an iconic voice. It always sounds like he's shouting from the mountaintops when he sings. The lyrics of the actual song are so jam-packed full of crap. I can't accurately tell you what the song is about, even though I've heard the song dozens of times uh throughout throughout the weeks since this song came out and i've even listened to the song while reading the lyrics i can sing along to the song but i don't really know what it's about i feel like i'm missing the context of the rest of the album in order to really dissect what the fuck's happening in the song but it is an 11 minute beautiful power symphonic metal extravaganza that y'all should listen to even if this type of music isn't your jam i think uh, i think it's worth a listen at least once just so you can hear how crazy this shit can really get because, oh boy, can it get crazy. So, take a listen to uh, to The Raven Child by Aventasia. Take a listen to Rocky Mountain High on the GoingCast.com Song of the Week playlist found on Spotify. And if you have a request for a Song of the Week, there are many ways in which you can get that information to me. But the best ways are to use the contact page at GoingCast.com. That will send an email right into me inbox. 
But if you wish to skip that and just send me an email directly, you can use goingcast at gmail.com. Subtitle song of the week. And please send in your own covers of your favorite songs, and I'll play them right here on the podcast to give you a shout-out and everything, and it's a wonderful thing, and I love to do it. So that all being said, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Apparently this episode is just going to be riddled with movie reviews, and I just got back from seeing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And let me just say right at the top that this is an absolute must-see film. Even if you're not too into superhero movies, it's still an incredible movie. Now, this was the best Spider-Man movie I've ever seen, and I've seen them all. Except for Amazing Spider-Man 2, which there's no there's no fucking way that movie's better than this one, so I'm not even going to try to, you know, oh, maybe, I don't know, I haven't seen them all. It's not. There's no way. It's not. And if it isn't better than Homecoming, it's not going to, you know, you know, it's not going to beat this one. And oh, there's lots of reasons why I thought this movie was good. Out of the gate, you know, the animation style is unique and done incredibly well it's very comic booky you know words on the screens the art style was just just awesome i loved it i thought it looked really sharp and cool i thought the action sequences were amazing i loved the new to me the new um stylings of classic spider-man villain like uh what they did with um you know i might get into a little spoiler territory so i'm gonna i'm gonna wait off listing actual characters um if you haven't seen it but i enjoyed the the stylized versions of classic spider-man villain i loved all of the um spider spider people incarnations um naturally gwen was my favorite uh spider gwen was fucking awesome just two thumbs up right there i could watch an entire movie of just her and i would love it to pieces I want to like consume more spider media um, where where she's a pivotal character because I just I loved what she was doing so much. It was it was very well done. the The plot of the movie is very good. It's like a coming of age story. It's a superhero story. It's an interdimensional space story. It's a it's a like a tragic love story. It's all sorts of different things. But just like it's. Um, you know, ensemble cast of spider people. The plot never gets bogged down in its infinite little like subplots going on. It all happens really seamlessly. And I think a lot of that credit goes to the person who wrote the damn thing, uh, Phil Lord, who might be best known for also doing the Lego movie, which is another incredible movie um, that is worth seeing. It Into the Spider-Verse is just... It's, it's the best Spider-Man movie because it shows an understanding of Spider-Man that other movies have gotten close to but never really quite got there. I still love Homecoming and I love that version of Spider-Man but what this version and movie of Spider-Man really gets right is the core message of Spider-Man which is anyone can be Spider-Man. They say it several times in the film. It is absolutely the message of the film that anyone can wear the mask. It doesn't matter who's under the mask because who's under the mask could literally be anyone. Spider-Man wasn't, you know, destined by the gods to be a hero of humanity. He wasn't, you know, this prophesized hero. Spider-Man was essentially chosen at random. Peter Parker, Miles Morales, Gwen Stacy, the others. (laughs) That's kind of, you know, there's infinite Spider-Men and women and people and pigs and robots. There's all sorts 
of different spider people and that's that's what's so great about spider-man that's what makes him so relatable and so iconic and enduring is that spider-man can be literally anyone we could all be spider-man you know there's like that message of you don't have to put on a mask to be a hero but if you do put on the mask like anyone could be could be spider-man and i i love that message because it it kind of it's kind of like that whole everyone's special when you're a kid and you get like that whole um participation trophy thing it's kind of like that but it's not because knowing that anyone can be spider-man means that you don't have to be spider-man in order to be heroic you see how you can kind of flip it kind of flip it if anyone can be spider-man that means spider-man can be anybody and you don't have to have the mask and you don't have to be spider-man in order to be spider-man you know what i mean like you can be a hero all on your own without the mask and i think that's the real core message that spider-man kind of instills in us and he gives us that that hope plus the the character of spider-man is always just so like relatable and um not to not to put a weird spin on it but the character of spider-man is is attractive because you have all those things that you know we all have they've got family troubles um they go to school occasionally uh their marriage falls apart there's there's all sorts of different things like spider-man isn't you know this this lauded like everything's perfect spider-man goes through a lot of shit and i think that's what we all love about spider-man is he's all he's like the forever underdog you never watch a spider-man movie going oh yeah well he's gonna come out on top um in every fight because he doesn't spider-man gets his ass kicked a lot but he always gets back up that's that's what's great about spider-man is that he never stops trying he never quits you know Spider-Man doesn't do that. Spider-Man keeps on fighting the good fight until the very end. Um, it's it's a it's a really fucking good movie. Uh, I I'm going again to a little spoilers now because I want to talk about the movie a bit more in depth. I know I've already talked about it a lot, but I want to really dive into this fucking film because I really enjoyed it. So the way I'm going to do that is I'm just going to tell you what the movie is. So if you don't want to know what the movie is, uh, you can you could probably just shut the shut the podcast off because it's going to be this, and then there's a the little farewell thing at the end, and that's that's going to be it. Um, but go see Into the Spider Verse. I'm assuming now you've turned off the podcast if you care about spoilers. Cool, we're going to get right into it. All right, so Miles Morales, naturally focus of the film, is going to a brand new school. He he won a lottery. And pass the entrance exam to go to a, a big old, big old, art, fancy, fancy, schmancy uniform wearing school in New York called like the Visions something, something, center. I don't remember. Um, and, you know, he's all nervous and stuff and he misses his friends at the at the local middle school and his parents only want the best for him. And he and he goes off to school and everything just shits, shits the bed. You know, he's late to classes. Uh, he He's not getting called on. It's stressful, you know, it's stressful going to a new school, especially when it's like a fucking honor student school where the smart kids go, you know, that kind of stuff. And it just kind of, it becomes too much for Miles. So he runs off and he goes hang out with his uncle, um, Uncle Aaron, who is, uh, who's super cool. Uh, he's voiced by the dude. Oh, fuck. What the hell is his name? He was, he was Cottonmouth and Luke Cage and he's the musician in green book i can never remember his name he was in another book as or movie as well that was really good he's a phenomenal actor his last name's ollie i can't remember what his first name is but that guy hopefully you know who i'm talking about at this point is the uncle and he does a wonderful job uh there's a wonderful little scene with them 
I don't want to get, you know, I'm not going to fucking read the script to you. Um, I might later, but I won't now. <laughs> Just, you know, there's a cute little scene. And uh, then um, they go off and do some some graffiti because Miles is a really good artist and the uncle wants to support that. And while they're there, Miles gets bitten by the, by the dumbass spider. Um, and then the whole next day is the classic, like, he's just sticking to everything and he's panicking. He doesn't figure out what his powers are all about. And, um, eventually through going back to where he was originally bitten, stumbles upon a, a giant underground particle collider, or, uh, yeah, particle collider. I think that's what they're called. Um, Hadron collider, you know, one of those big old particle beamy things. Um, and Spider-Man's fighting this fucking huge, like Godzilla, looking fucker that's actually Green Goblin um which I loved like like I mentioned before the the way the villains are stylized in this movie is fucking awesome I love it I love that Green Goblin's like this big old Spider-Man you know big old fucking monster and I thought that looked really cool and they duke it out and it turns out the particle accelerator um for fucking Hadron Collider whatever the particle beam thing was uh commissioned and built by Kingpin and Kingpin is literally just a giant black rectangle with little hands and a, and a big fat head in the middle. And there's actually a couple of scenes where it's just like a sea of black. And all you see is Kingpin's face and lapel because he's just so wide and massive that he just takes up the whole fucking screen. And he he activates the, the particle collider, opening a rift in space-time to access different dimensions for a reason we will find out later in the film. Uh, but in doing so... Uh, Spider-Man gets like held by the Green Goblin in the in the spy in the um like the beam, and in doing so, all the other Spider People enter this dimension of reality. Um, in the process of this all going down, uh, this world's version of Peter Parker, the, the one with Miles Morales in it, because Miles lives in a world where there's already a Spider-Man. That version of Peter Parker um goes down. He's done, and. Uh, I told you about spoilers. Just letting you, like, you had your, you had your shot. You can't get mad at me now. Um, he goes down. And Miles is a witness to this. And Miles is like, oh, fuck. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. And he gets out of there. And um, in the process of this whole thing going down, uh, Spider-Man gave Miles, like, a little flash drive that needs to go into, like, a port in the wall. And that'll shut off the particle beam thing. And it'll all shut down and it'll all stop. And uh, Miles, instead of doing that, just fucking bails because he's being chased by this dude called the Prowler, who I've never fucking heard of before this movie, but he was real cool. He's got like a purple suit and like claws and shit. Super neat. Enjoy the Prowler. Miles bails. And then the news gets out that Spider-Man's dead. And everybody's super fucking sad. Like Mary Jane gives a speech at City Hall. Everybody goes out and buys Spider-Man outfits. There's a wonderful little scene there that I'm not going to ruin for you because some things just need to be left up to you viewing the movie. Um, and Miles gets a suit that's like too small for him and he's wearing the Spider-Man suit all over the place and he goes to visit um, Parker's grave and he's all sad and shit and this dude sneaks up behind him and uh, Miles whips around and shocks him with, I think he called a venom sting was was the move, it's like electricity, I don't fucking, Miles has different Spider-Man powers than, um, than Peter Parker does as Spider-Man so, you know, I think he can turn invisible and shock with his hands. Um, but he shocks the dude who turns out to be Peter Parker from another universe, Peter B. Parker, uh, who's like, like 37, nine years old or something like that. He's divorced from Mary Jane. He's overweight. He's given up. He's, he's in this world. And, um, eventually he and Miles team up to go back to like this lab where the particle beam thing was originally designed. And in order to create the, the flash drive again, because throughout Miles being a dipshit, he broke it. 
And so they infiltrate the lab, discover this world's version of Dr. Octavius, who's really fucking rad, um, eventually make off with the computer that they need in order to recreate the the shut off the flash drivey thing. In the process, they run into uh, Gwen Stacy. Um, we know her as Spider Gwen, but in the movie, she's introduced to Spider Woman, which makes way more fucking sense. How much of a dumbass would you have to be to have your fucking superhero name be your legitimate name? That sounds pretty fucking stupid, doesn't it? So I'm not really sh- like I wanted to call her Spider Gwen because people will instantly know who I'm talking about, but. I have to. I'd have to like read a comic book or something to actually. She cannot legitimately become. Look at Spider Gwen. I wonder what her real name is. That cannot be what she's called in in universe in her comic books. I refuse to accept the fact that her name is Spider Gwen in the goddamn comic books. So it's Spider Woman, and she's Gwen Stacy. So it's Spider Spider Gwen. Just so we all know who I'm talking about. But she shows up, and like I mentioned before, best fucking character in the whole film. And she's rad. And so the three of them go to Aunt May for help because they don't have the technology to remake the... They keep calling it a... um. Oh, what do they call it? It wasn't a gizmo. It was a, it was a goober. They kept calling it a goober. Um, just like this random bit of tech used to solve problems. They called it a goober, which I thought was funny. They go to Aunt May and Aunt May lets them into um, this world Peter's like fucking secret base thing because apparently Spider-Man is Batman um, and he just has a secret layer full of tech shit. Um, I wasn't aware of that, but whatever. And that's when you're introduced to the other three spider people. Uh, there's Penny Parker with, with the spider robot, uh, from the, like, the year 2146 or something like that. There's Peter Porker, the, um, uh, spider ham, who is like a cartoon pig. And then of course there's, um, uh, the Nicolas Cage spider noir, uh, Peter Parker, who is fucking the best. They're, they're, oh my god, that was he was so good. He did not have enough lines in this fucking movie. I loved his character. Um, there was this one line that I really clung on to from the trailer I saw where he's standing there holding a match and he's like, sometime I'll let the match burn down to my fingertips just to feel something, anything. And it's just like over the top Nick, Nick Cage and god, it was so good. I loved it. I loved his character. It was like the best performance <laughs> I've ever seen out of Nick Cage was for Spider Noir. This 1930s gumshoe. Oh my god, it was incredible. So they made up with them. And um, throughout the next little bit, uh, they, like, get the flash drive all together. And, like, they're talking about who's going to shut off the machine. Because whoever shuts off the machine, you know, has to remain behind. and can't return to their world. And Miles is like, I'll do it. And everybody else is like, oh, yeah, can you do all these things? And Miles basically, like, get panics and flees. Because he can't do those things. And everybody's like, no, fucking well. One of us is going to have to do it. And, um, you know, this is that whole coming of age thing. Um, the next number of scenes are incredible, and again, I don't want to really ruin it, but through trials and tribulations, Miles eventually fucking gets a hold of his shit, and, you know, goes to get his spider suit, and shows up at the final battle, and the final battle's rad, and it all goes down, and there's this huge emotional goodbye, and uh, as all the spider people go back to their original worlds... Um, you know, uh, Miles wins out the day. There's this wonderful shot of um all the all the Spider People back in their universes, like like um being essentially comforted um all at the same time, knowing the fact that they are not the only Spider People out there. There are an infinite number of Spider People, and that you're not alone, no matter who or what you think you are. 
And it's it's just it's a wonderful message. It's a wonderful movie. Although the very end of the movie kind of confused me because there's there's this bit where Miles is sitting on the bed with his headphones on, and there's a fucking hole in space time that's just ripped open. And Gwen's like, "Hey, Miles, you got a minute?" And I'm like, "Wait, what the fuck? Weren't we just like going through a whole mess of shit where like the world was going to explode because of the holes in space time?" And now Gwen is just like, "Yo, Tang, let's chill. Let's do it. Come on, pop over here for a bit." Um, I don't know. Seemed a little uh, seemed a little easy. But this movie left me with one of those feelings that I don't get from movies very often, which is that, that I want more. I want more of this content. I need to consume more media of this ilk because I loved it. I loved it. It was so good. And I don't get that feeling a lot with movies anymore. Um, usually what this means is I'm going to look for like comic books and, and like merch and just more shit that I can, I can like have. So I'm just like, ah, yes, Into the Spider-Verse. This movie was incredible. So... We'll see where that leads me. Might finally break down and get the gigantic Spider-Gwen mug that's like like a fucking gallon and a half. And the thing's like $10. So, looking forward to that. Um, I don't know where I'm going to put it because it's fucking enormous. It's bigger than my teapot, but I'm very excited about getting that. I think it's a life-size just severed head of Gwen Stacy that they've just cut the top off, taken the brain out. Now you can use it as a mug. So, there you go. Into the Spider-Verse is... Superb. You may not think you need to see it now because I've basically told you what the entire film is, but trust me, this movie is absolutely worth seeing, and it's worth seeing on the big screen. I know I don't say that a lot about a lot of movies, but you're going to want to see these fucking animation skills in the biggest format you can possibly find, and do it quickly because the movie's been out for a while, and if you haven't seen it yet, you're losing your opportunity pretty fast. So get get going. Go get it. Go, go see it. And let's move on to the, to the last thing of the podcast. Finally, this week, I want to talk about a lesson that I think was pretty hard won. Um, full transparency. Last couple of days haven't been the easiest for me. Um, a lot of a lot of pressure uh, from a lot of different sources, and it's been it's been hard. It's been hard. Um, just you know, it's life can be exhausting, and I felt like I was in a pretty strong rut. You know. Um, the, the things I do at, at my place of work can sometimes be a little repetitive. Um, uh, there was a coworker of mine that described it as Sisyphean. We always, we push the boulder up the hill only to come in the next day to find the boulder back down at the bottom of the hill. Like it's this never ending cycle. And you know, I would, I would wake up, I would eat, I would go to work, I would come home, I would eat, I would work out. I'd maybe do a little bit of computer stuff and go to bed. And it was rinse and repeat day in, day out. And it, it was starting to get to me. It's just the routine, the repetition, the nothing new happening. And I started having these thoughts of like, um, you know, maybe, maybe I'll make this change and maybe I'll go to this place and stuff like that. And no matter what idea I came up with, no matter where I, I thought it was going to like go or uh, what things I would change, um, I always envisioned that new change becoming the new rut. And I'm like, I wouldn't change anything. I would just be in the new routine and I'd be trapped again. And it just kept spiraling, 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 spiraling. And then it finally clicked. Certain aspects of your life will remain the same kind of no matter what you do. You'll work, you'll eat, you'll sleep. That's just, those are staples of life. And when you look at life as a big picture like that, it's really easy to spiral down and think like nothing's ever going to change. It's always going to be this shit. 
and the fucking sucks and you just spiral down and down and down. But there's a couple of things that I finally figured out. Number one, it's, it's the micro variations that you really need to focus on. Sure. You're going to eat, but what are you going to eat? Sure. You're going to do the same shit at work, but the, the little things are what really make the difference to avoid thinking in the right. You've really got to get down to the nitty gritty. You really got to think about it. Like for example, I work out basically every day, but I don't work out the same muscle groups every day. So it's a new thing every day, you know, like Monday is, um, leg day. Yeah. Sorry. See what I'm saying? Work out every day, but I don't remember what is on what day. So Monday is leg days, but it's like thighs and calves. And then Tuesday is, you know, um, upper body, but it's chest and back. And then Wednesday is break day, but then Thursday is leg day again. But instead of thighs and calves, it's hamstrings and ass. I think, uh, it's like front of leg and then back of leg. And then, um, the next arm day it's, um, arms, shoulders, and, um, uh, what else has really worked out? Trapezoids, I guess I would consider that part of the shoulders, but you see what I'm saying is it's the micro variations that really make the difference. And the other thing that I figured out this week that again, took me way too fucking long to figure out is if you've got routine in your life, it's on you to do something about it. Like say, for example, you got a work ahead of you or work week ahead of you, you know, it's the same shit day in and day out. You've got to do something that breaks the routine. Now I'm not saying like you move or you get a new job, but if you're, if you're like life is in that rut, you've got to get out of the rut, at least for a little while. Maybe it's going to the city and doing some shopping. Maybe it's getting back in touch with nature. Maybe it's hanging out with friends. You've got to make events and do events, activities, excursions, exploration it's on you to do other shit that's what that's that's the life bit that i think i was missing for a while it's just the shame shit day in and day out but i wasn't i wasn't living i was just existing and and in today's world there's not a lot of opportunity for for those types of activities and excursions we got the weekend but you know a lot of people use the weekend for like shopping and doing those necessary things we need in order to prep for the next work week but if you live your life planning the next work week on a constant reoccurring basis you're going to go insane i feel like that's kind of the path i was traveling down and i i fortunately was able to snap out of the fucking rut i was in before something you know the the they've really kind of sunk in and it would have been so much harder to get those claws out of my brain so it's it's so important to appreciate the little things and to you gotta go out of your way to do fun shit like sometimes the opportunity is going to fall on your lap like a friend will invite you out and it's it's just as easy as saying yes you know but other times you got to make some shit happen if you want to hang out with the friends you got to make that call Play D&D, go to the beach, see a new movie, go to a fancy restaurant, treat yourself, go shopping. Get out of the house and go somewhere besides work or a grocery store. That's a good goddamn start. Go to a used bookstore. I've whiled away many hours just wandering the dusty, musty shelves of used bookstores, looking at wonderful new adventures that I could go on. And it's, you know, that's, that's what it is. That's the secret, you know? If you're always wondering, like, why am I down? Why am I sad? 
the, the trick is to get out and start fucking living life, man. It doesn't have to be big and extravagant. You don't have to go to fucking Disney World to be happy. That's a great place to go if you're sad. But I think you can find plenty to do just right in your own backyard. You can go to an open mic night at like a local coffee shop and listen to people try to be good on the acoustic guitar or better yet you could try to find like some some like low budget stand-up specials or not specials but go to like a local comedy club and watch some people just fucking die on the mic you know sometimes those are the best nights when you get a couple of buddies get a couple of drinks and go watch somebody try to you know try to do a comedy bit and sometimes they're gonna be great and you're they're gonna kill it and you're gonna love it and other times they're gonna suck and people are gonna boo and you're gonna love it you know, it's all about the the ups and downs, the pros and cons. But the most important thing is that you get out there and start experiencing these things. You know, binging Netflix is all well and good. All right. But that is what you do like third or fourth. Okay. If binging Netflix is the is your go-to from like a day of work and sometimes you're tired and I get it. Okay. But don't let it become the rut because once you're once that's the thing you do, then it's once again it's hard to break free. So I, I want you to I want to encourage you to use Netflix, to use television, to use video games and movies and all that stuff as as lower on the totem pole, okay? Because you're gonna watch incredible adventures and you're gonna hear awesome stories and that's all well and good. But I think you know this could just be me. It's more meaningful if you go out and try to experience things for yourself. Because, you know, life's short. You're already in a rut, so am I, we're all in a rut. You just gotta get out there, do some new shit, all right? That's my, that's my farewell message. Um, I wish I had figured this out sooner, and I, I felt like, I, you know, I'm not discovering the fucking meaning of the universe or reinventing the wheel here, but it helped me a lot to figure out this lesson, so hopefully it'll help you guys too. Gotta look at the little things. Get out of the goddamn house every once in a while. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Going Up Cast. You can listen to the Going Up Cast on iTunes, Google Play, and GoingUpCast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, the best way to support the Going Cast is to go to patreon.com forward slash goingupcast. Any donation there is very much appreciated and will be pumped right back into making this podcast bigger and better for your listening pleasure. My name is Andrew Logan, and I will see you all next week for another fantastic episode of the Going Up Cast. Have a good one, everyone.